Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Learning the hard way is laziness on the front end. Our job is to go chase wisdom. That's why I wrote the book with the title, Chasing Wisdom. I think really good questions are like priming the pump in someone's life, and then all of a sudden you strike wisdom. Daniel Grothy is the Associate Senior Pastor at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where he has served for 15 years. Daniel has toured the world as a musician and has made a couple albums he's played on that have been nominated for three Grammys. He has recently written a book with Thomas Nelson Publishers called Chasing Wisdom, The Lifelong Pursuit of Living Well, which chronicles his 10-year friendship with Eugene Peterson, pastor, author, and translator of the Message Bible. Daniel and his wife Lisa have three kids and live on a small hobby farm with lots of animals. Interviewing Pastor Daniel Grothy was such a blessing today. We had a short interview and it was jam-packed with wisdom. I just love his overall concept of being so intentional about capturing wisdom and chasing wisdom and how he writes letters to these older folks that you know, have done great, great work in their life and maybe lived in the shadows like, like Eugene Peterson he talks about, lived in the you know, pastor of a 300-person church in a small town. And then he translated the Bible into, you know, the message version, which, you know, has been read by millions and millions of people. He reaches out to people and he just listens and he, and he prepares good questions. And I think there's just so much to learn from such a simple, you know, idea of how to go about your life. It's not about um, living in the moment of where we're at on our knowledge, or our wisdom today, day by day with, with your peers. It's truly about finding those people that have lived you know a long life a life of wisdom that is considered a sage and just sitting down with them preparing good questions before and listening the power of listening really really stood out to me in this interview he's so good at it he talks about how you have to listen differently and that gives you a different um, language with which to speak when you're with an 18 year old you know athlete versus a 65 year old you know grandmother I just think that that's super wise. Also, what really stood out to me was how he blocks for purpose and how his mentors talk about blocking for purpose. You make a literal appointment for yourself and no matter what you've been invited to, you say, I have an appointment. And it's because you are blocking time to be contemplative. And like he talks about coming from that idleness and that stillness into your task that requires all of who you are rather than coming from toil and tiredness and distraction. It's just so needed in a world like today to really capture and fully invest and fully live from your purpose. And then I just love how he ends the interview with talking about how important it is to be a student of how God made you. There's so many levels to this, but that essentially is what it is to be intentional about living you know, a life of purpose as you've been made to have purpose. Daniel Grothy is only 37 years old and he knows so much 
wisdom about how to be a person of purpose. I highly encourage you to listen to this interview a second round through as I just did. And just ask yourself what you need to do to listen to others, to listen to yourself, and how you can truly commit and invest and fully live from your purpose. Because I think there's so many keys in this interview that will teach you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of People of Purpose with Pastor Daniel Grothy. Hello, Pastor Daniel Grothy. It's wonderful to have you on People of Purpose today. Welcome to the show. Manner, glad to be here. Nice. So you were actually one of the first guests that my team was like, you got to talk to this guy. You got to talk to this guy. I have a team of six that work with me mostly in Asia. And uh, Tom, who's originally from Kansas, now has married his Filipino wife and they live over in the Philippines. Is like, I heard Dr. Grothy talk about his book. Uh, you guys need to check into that. And what I what I really respected in just learning about what you do is how you really value wisdom and reaching reaching up to people that are much older than you, even dead. Um, I think that's like super super brilliant and. I, I totally believe in that, but I'm sure I can learn so much of like the nuances as to why I should give so much value to that. Um, my question is like, how, who was it or, or when was it that you really discovered that it's super important to reach up to you know, wiser elders um, and get that wisdom? Yeah, well, there's a great tradition of wisdom all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And I mean, if you think about what we're doing when we read the Bible, we're reading the dead people. <laughs> and so that we're, we're, we're living with the assumption that there's a story that's been going on long before us and a story that will carry on long after us. And so to, to live that way is to live with humility. Uh, also, we live in an age that is just really drunk on fad and fashion and whatever's the latest thing. And um, the scriptures just tell us, to get wisdom in all you're getting, get understanding, to submit yourself to God, uh, honor thy father and mother, and it will go well with you and you will live a long life on the earth. And so, yes, your mom and dad biologically, but also I believe your mothers and your fathers. Uh, so we're, we're, we're engrafted into this long, old story of the people of Israel. But then recently, in the last many years, Eugene Peterson uh, was a guy who really encouraged me to read the dead peoples, uh, the dead people. So uh, I wrote about that in my book, Chasing Wisdom. And there's a there's a uh, chapter called The Wisdom of Reading the Dead People, the wisdom of an old library. And so, uh, yeah, it, there's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. And so uh, if we can pay attention to the wisdom that's gone before us, if we can submit ourselves, if we can ask really good questions, if we can zoom out of our moment of uh, fad and fashion and, and tap into the ancient wisdom, I think we'll look up and uh, find strength. Yeah, I love it. Totally. It's super interesting that you were able to interview Eugene Peterson. He's, he's the guy who uh, like essentially created the, or not created, but translated the message book yeah. of the Bible. For people that don't know, maybe you could give a little bit of background on that as well. Yeah, Eugene Peterson is uh, a legend. He, You're right, he translated the Message Bible, and uh, good brother. I met Eugene 
in a time of crisis. He, he pastored for 30 years in Baltimore, Maryland, outside of Baltimore in a little town called Bel Air and pastored three to 500 people. Nobody ever knew who he was. When he was 65 years old, he translated the message and exploded on the scene. And uh, I, I joke that it only took Eugene 65 years to become an overnight success. And <laughs> he just faithfully was pastoring, writing, brilliant writer. I, I'm looking at a shelf here that has only Eugene Peterson books on it. There's 35 books he's written. Wow. World-class author. So I'd encourage you to check out his stuff. The book, uh, I'll tell you a bit of the story of how I was introduced to Eugene. The book um, that I found was a book called The Contemplative Pastor. And I came to New Life Church 15 years ago yesterday, actually, uh, July 14th, 2005. Happy anniversary. Thank you. My wife and I uh, got married July 1st, 05, and we got in a Penske truck, put all the little bit of stuff that we had in the back of a Penske, drove through your place in Kansas and came out to Colorado Springs. Well, I guess you're in Missouri, but just right there on the border, you get the point. Uh, came out to Colorado Springs and our church was just running and gunning. We were on top of the world. We were making a difference. We, we had Mel Gibson come to our church to release the passion of the Christ to our pastor's conference. President George W. Bush Skyped into our pastor's conference. And so we were, we were on the scene, right? And then our pastor was caught in a moral failure. And the church just bottomed out. We were heartbroken. We'd lost our senior pastor, and we were obviously embarrassed as well. And then in that time, we discovered we were $26 million in debt. And we didn't know that. And then the economy tanked, the 2006, 2007 global recession. So we had to fire 44 people. We finally got a new senior pastor 10 months after we lost our senior pastor. And on his 100th day in the office, it was a Sunday morning, He's just now starting to restore trust. And the, you, know, you know how it is. The wind starts to shift to your back and you're, you're carried by the Spirit's power. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. good, there's hope for the future. Well, we finished the second service on Sunday morning and I'm standing at the end of the children's hallway and all of a sudden I hear, bop, 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 bop. a shooter came on our campus with an assault rifle. Oh my gosh. And a thousand rounds of ammunition and is spraying bullets everywhere. And so I race into our pastor's office. There's a shooter on campus. He had killed two teenage girls in the parking lot, two sisters, 16 and 18 year olds, Rachel and Stephanie Works, just dear women of God. And then he ran in our building and was just just indiscriminately spraying bullets everywhere. And a security guard ran down the hallway with a little handgun, shoots the guy in the leg, he falls down and then takes his own life in our children's hallway. So it, on my, our new senior pastor's 100th day in the office, we have a double murder-suicide on our campus on a Sunday yeah. morning. So we, in 13 months, lost our senior pastor, global recession, fire 44 people, double murder-suicide. And I'm this young pastor, 25 years old, and just had our first baby. And I, I don't know up from down at this point. So I go to the Goodwill store here in town, secondhand shop, and on a Monday morning after church, and I see this book, The Contemplative Pastor. And I start reading it, and it was 99 cents. I bought it, start reading it, read the whole thing that day, 171 pages. I never do that, but I could not put it down, and I was at a critical moment in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote Eugene this letter, and I said, Dear Eugene, 
I'm Daniel Grothy. Here's what's happened at my church. I'm a young 25-year-old pastor. I've just read your book. Could I spend a day with you? So Eugene writes me back, and he says, uh, Dear Daniel, yes, you can spend a day with me here in Montana, period, but not so fast, period. He said, why don't you write a three-page paper on what is pastor and a three-page paper on what is church to see if we even have enough common ground to begin a conversation. And that began a 10-year back and forth of friendship. I made seven wow. trips to place, and then he came out here. And so 10 years of really being apprenticed to this guy who, who was faithful, who lived, as he wrote in his book, along obedience in the same direction. So uh, that's a bit of my story with Eugene Peterson. I love that. That is, wow, like the the bottom of bottoms. And you yeah. said you didn't know up from down. Wow. You turned all that around. Incredible. Um, in this like kind of pen pal relationship and then in-person relationship, what did you discover about your, your sense of purpose in being a pastor and in leading a church? Yeah, I, reading his book that day, The Contemplative Pastor, I just thought I was made for that. That's that's who I am. Someone just wrote my identity. I, I don't know. This guy is reading my mail. Finally, in, in the 21st century American church that is built so much on adrenaline and glamour and glitz, here's this saint who's slugging it out in, in obscurity and who's calling pastors to be unbusy and subversive and to stand and live along obedience in the same direction. It, that day when I got that book, I, I felt like I was reading my future. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I discovered that, yeah, I'm, there are there are conversation partners out there. I'd always felt a little bit um, like my vision of pastoral ministry was was odd, that that um, I wasn't finding many conversation partners. And then Eugene, it just was like, OK, I'm not. Maybe I am crazy, but at least I'm not alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, he was a guy who really helped me just sort of say, yep, I can sign up for that vision of pastoral ministry. I can live like that. And there are other people out there doing it. Uh, I've got sages along the way who can help me live this kind of call. So he's essentially saying, and you agreed with him, that like what stood out to me was the pastor being unbusy. From yeah. my experience, at, uh, I've interviewed a pastor on the podcast. I've been a Christian my whole life. My mom has like been a volunteer in the church for a decade in, at a huge one, like Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Church in Southern California. Um, how is a pastor unbusy yet still like serving all the people at like the greatest levels they need to be served? What does yeah. that look like? Man, that is the tension of a lifetime right there. That is the struggle that will never cease uh, it doesn't mean unbusy does not mean uh, sitting around with nothing to do. <laughs> Clearly, right. that's not what it means. What it means is, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Herman uh, Melville's Moby Dick, one of the great American novels, monster writer. It's it's good versus evil. It's the the great white whale. Captain Ahab is on the, the, the bow of the ship screaming. It's it's this great clash. And there's this moment where, where they're chasing the whale. And there's all these oarsmen on the boat just thrashing forward. And they've got their oars and they're straining at the oars. And, and the, Captain Ahab is frothing at the mouth, screaming and giving commands. 
And yet there's this one person who is in the boat and he sits very still. And everywhere, it just doesn't fit in the scene where there's crashing and there's this fight and there's this you know good versus evil locked in and Ahab screaming, but there, this one person and this person is the uh, the harpooner, and the harpooner is the one who has to stand up and do this really meaningful work and end the evil, right? So he stands up, and it says Herman Melville writes, in order to ensure the greatest efficiency in the dart. The harpooners of this world world must rise to their feet out of idleness and not out of toil. Yeah. I think what Eugene meant when he was talking about pastors being unbusy is that you have this composure that it doesn't mean there's not much to do. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that there's not a great fight against good and evil. There absolutely is. But you need to think of yourself, if you're gonna be a pastor, you have to show up in situations with clarity. You have to show up in situations with discernment. You have to show up in situations with sanity. You have to be able to bring peace be still into the storm. Mm-hmm. And so think of yourself, if you're a pastor, think of yourself more of a, as more of a harpooner because you've got really important work to do. So like today, I've got a funeral to go from here to do. I've got uh, a conference that I'm helping lead today. There's pastoral calls I've got to make. There's so much to do. But you can you can step into those situations with sort of this Holy Spirit sanity with with an unbusyness of soul so that when you step in, you can bring that peace be still into the storm. Yeah, definitely. That totally resonates with me. I, I always feel like I'm moving a little bit slower than people around me. And I think it's because I'm trying to be contemplative yeah. um, in, in this way. That's right. I love that, like coming from a idleness versus toil into something because we often bring ourselves from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing without any like gap between that. And then we're bringing like a lesser version of ourselves, a less, you know, a more like human version of ourselves versus like a godly version of ourselves. Yeah. I see another, thing, another thing that Eugene would do in his unbusyness, uh, again, there's so much to do, but he would write in his calendar on Tuesdays and Thursdays from three to 5 PM, like block it in his calendar. And he would write F, D as his appointment and it was Fyodor Dostoevsky so he would go sit in his study and he would read and he would drink it in and he would grow and he would study and a lot of times people would say hey pastor could you come to our small group or could you come do this or could you come to our kids fifth birthday party or you know the yeah those are hard to say no to (laughs) he would say no I'm not able I have an appointment yeah. And, and that wasn't untrue. And, but the, his point was, you have to understand what your proper work is. And until you know what your proper work is, you'll be pulled to and fro to go to every pressing issue that people mm-hmm. want to be involved in. And to be an unbusy pastor is to be one who understands what your proper work is. It's prayer. It's study. It's walking the neighborhood and being with God's people. It, it's all of those things. And so until you know what it is, you'll be swept up into all of the pressing needs of the moment. So Eugene gives us permission to sort of pick those things that we know we're made for. We're people of purpose. We know what our purpose is. And once we know what our purpose is, we block that in our calendars and we, we protect it. Wow. Yeah. Blocking purpose is absolutely essential. Mm. I, 
I luckily have an amazing appointment like almost every week in having an interview. I get to meet someone like you. You have these people have an hour to transform my life, my way of thinking. They give me some resources to digest over the coming week. And that wouldn't have happened had I not like gotten up a little bit earlier to have, you know, a chat with someone like yourself for 45 minutes and be totally like transformed and cleansed and like, you know, reoriented to the right path. Um, One thing that you talk about that I super, super agree with being like an interviewer is the power of asking good questions to get you through the storms of life, to get you like on the right path of wisdom that's for you. Um, you, I think you said something, I forget where, where it is in my notes, but it was like, um, if you can just learn to ask the right questions, you can like learn so much of this stuff that's you know already been learned by others versus having to get stuck in like the fads of today. Yeah. A lot of times people will say, you know, I just had to learn the hard way. Yeah. And that was what you said. Yeah. That I just go garbage, garbage. Learning the hard way is, is laziness on the front end. And so because you haven't done your proper work to be out in front and to ask really good questions, you stumble into something that you could have avoided. And so I just think there are so many wise people out there who have lived and logged miles with God and they've got stories to tell. They've got experience. They, mm-hmm. in the book, I write about the, the spiritual discipline of trial and error. And, and I think all the great sages are those who have practiced their craft and they've put themselves out there and they've experimented and they've learned and through failure, they've gotten better. And if I can tap into someone else's failure if I can sit with someone who's 60 years old and learn, learn where they would have done it differently and ask mm-hmm. really good questions and be specific and, and, and lead them in a way that I can draw the, the wisdom out. In the oil fields, you know, they call it priming the pump. Yeah. And those oil derricks, you know, they're going down into the earth and the pump is, and all of a sudden, out comes the oil. Well, I think really good questions are like priming the pump in someone's life. And then all of a sudden you strike wisdom. And so if you're going into a meeting, if you call a meeting with someone, be prepared. Don't show up. Don't say, hey, so-and-so, can I take you to lunch? And then show up and sit there like a cow at a new gate without any questions. You know, be natural. I'm not trying to, you know, steer the conversation or, or own the meeting in a weird way. But once the meeting settles in after the pleasantries and getting to know someone or catching up with someone, I'll say, hey, if you don't have anything else, I'd love to just ask you a few questions that I wrote down for today. I came and, and I'm thinking based on this person's life. These are not general questions. These are specific questions tailor made to the person in front of me. So I'll say, hey, Brett, I know you've been a bank president for 25 years. Tell me what you know about dot, dot, dot. You know, hey, hey, um, Mary Napier, I know you're 80 years old and you've been around our church for 30 years and you're just sort of a mother in the house of God. Mary, can you tell me about being married to John for 50 years? How did you how did you and John have such a vibrant marriage for 50 years? If I if I just come to that meeting and go, hey, Mary, what's going on? Yeah, how you doing? And I just squander it. it it's a waste. It's a waste, yeah, of, totally. it's a waste of her time. 
It's me missing out on the opportunity to receive the wisdom that she and John have fought for for 50 years. So come and prime the pump. Be ready. You don't have to learn the hard way. Sometimes life just happens to us. I get it. But if you'll be out in front of it and if you'll be purposeful, if you'll ask really good questions, I think you'll, you'll find yourself situated. You won't be behind the eight ball. You'll be out in front of it. Yeah. And one thing I, I super loved about preparing for this interview, like I typically am preparing a lot of questions, like way too many to cover. Um, and in this one, you have like a section of your, um, your attachment that you send, like PR questions. Yeah. And that section is like, oftentimes you won't be able to choose your own interview questions, but if you could, what would you want to be asked? And yeah. you provide four questions for yourself. <laughs> I just thought that was brilliant. I've never seen that before. And I worked with like 75 guests now. I love it. Just trying to prime the pump, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we could talk about one of those. Um, yeah. what, I, what I thought was particularly interesting um, was on the retirees topic. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned so many things around that, but uh, you asked me to ask you, can you tell us what those, um, what the lies are that retirees are being told and what should people do about them? Yeah, so you're 65 in America and the, the working narrative is you've done your work, it's time for you to go away and spend the next 20 years in enjoyment. And look, you have done your work and I want the next 20 years to be vibrant years for you. I don't want you to keep grinding. I don't want you to wear yourself out. Not at all. But the American narrative is you've done your work. Now you can go away because we don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. Why don't you spend the next 20 years on yourself? And what I think the kingdom of God would say to that is, no, you've just come to this place of great strength. You've lived 65 years well. You've worked hard. You have more time than you've ever had. You have more, probably more disposable income than you've ever had. You have more wisdom than you've ever had. You have more experiential knowledge than you've ever had. And you're going to go away and play golf and take, take trips for the next 20 years and not give that back. So what I think the, the, the role of young people like you and me, Tanner, I'm 37, you're 28. I think our job is to go chase wisdom. That's why I wrote the book with the title Chasing Wisdom, not stumbling into wisdom, not accidentally having wisdom, not wisdom being forced down your throat. No, chase wisdom. That's our job. We should set appointments with the wise ones among us and ask really good questions. But to the elders, I would say your job is to be available your job is to be open-hearted. Your job is to be uh, generous of spirit. Respond yes to the request from a guy like you or me to go to lunch. And, and tell us your stories. And give, give back what you've learned along the way. And as the young submit to the old, and as the old open their hearts to the young, get ready to live. The, the kingdom of God is the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob together. Mm -hmm. Story, kingdom of God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the divine community of unmitigated love. It's the dance of the Trinity. It's back and forth. And if the church isn't that mirroring that dance, we're missing out on something. We're not living up into our identity. And so 
if you're that 65 year old, I would just say we need you now more than we've ever needed you. And we need your expertise and we need the stories of your pain. We need the stories of your failure. We need you to make us some tea and let us come into your house when COVID's over. Uh, we need you to, <laughs> to tell us your stories. And young ones, don't sit back and be passive. Be, be the initiators. Honor thy father and mother. And, and I'll send emails or letters to friends in the church. I've got a letter right here from one of the greatest thinkers, writers on the planet. This is Wendell Berry. He's a farmer poet in Kentucky. He's 87 years old. And I wrote him a handful of months ago and said, Dear Mr. Berry, you don't know me, but here's what I know about you. And here, could I spend some time with you? Like, honor up and then let the saints and the sages bless down. And so I, I just think we've got to live in this clash, this back and forth, the dance of intergenerational wisdom exchange. I love it. So one thing I'm thinking from a young person's perspective is how do you reach these people? How do you connect with them in a meaningful way? And I'm seeing several ways in which you're writing people letters. Yeah. Is that one of the recommended means of correspondence? I would absolutely say yes, because a letter stops you in your tracks. What? In, in an age of your phone buzzing all day and being overwhelmed with information and data and this and emails and a letter, you go, what? What is this? And it, it makes you go slow. It makes you pay. Writing a letter is the process of sharing your heart. You're editing. You're not, it's not a cheap text. It's a, it communicates that I spent time and thought to communicate to you. I went down to the mailbox and put the letter in and raised a little red flag and submitted myself to snail mail, the pace of life going at snail mail pace. It, 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 so I think it communicates intentionality. It communicates dignity, that you matter to me, that your life is important, that I see something in you that mm -hmm. I need. And I want to submit myself to that. So it can be someone like a Eugene Peterson or a Wendell Berry out there, but they're in your church. They're right around you. I'm not trying to say, go find the celebrities or the superstars or the published authors. For every one Eugene Peterson I've had, which is exactly one, I've had a hundred other saints and sages who were just sitting in the pew down from me at the church. Mm -hmm. And I've watched their lives for 25 years and I wanted to... So look around you, and if you will do that, if you'll pay attention, you'll find the people that God has situated around you who can give you wisdom. Yeah. So I have, I know at least I have a, a, um, a couple of best friends that are in their 70s, and they listen to almost every episode of my podcast. And I love it because like it, it keeps a relationship with them. I stayed at their house like six years ago, and now they still listen. Um, during COVID time, how can we better foster these relationships without, you know, what I'm seeing happening is these older folks getting kind of pushed, like pushed aside or even like voluntarily taking themselves out of the mainstream mix to not get this disease. What do you recommend people like that do if we have to live in a COVID world for a while? First of all, to your 70 year old friends, God bless you. We love you. You're such a gift. Thanks for what you're doing. And all of you who are listening, who find yourself in your latter years, you matter more than you've ever mattered. You, you, you're, you're important. So thank you for your faithfulness in the kingdom. Secondly, it's right to be wise and to be sober. 
at, at a time like this. I'm not saying be uh, be foolish and get out there and don't wear masks and you know hug it out and kiss each other on the cheek. I'm not saying that. But we can get creative. You and I are on a Zoom call here. Five months ago, I wasn't Zoom calling. Now I'm Zoom calling. And it's a beautiful stopgap measure until we can get back to a sense of normalcy. So figure it out. Uh, Some of these older folks will have iPhones, okay? You can FaceTime with them. Um, However it works, you can go sit out on the porch at their house and drink coffee and sit 10 feet away from them. Ask them questions. But... I think the thing we're discovering through COVID and through lockdown is just how important bodily presence is that Jesus, the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us. God was not sprinkling fairy dust from the the balconies of heaven. God came and moved into the neighborhood. Eugene translated it in John 1 14. The word became flesh. So if the word became flesh, we are to be an enfleshed, embodied people with each other. And the deepest sadnesses of this time for us have been been the separation, right? So find creative ways of closing the separation gap, of being together, of communicating, however it works for you, whatever people are comfortable with. I'm just telling you, we're, we're in a technologically advanced enough world that we can piece it together in this weird time. Yeah, of course. Um, And then one thing that you mentioned about Eugene was what I notice when I read the message translation is how different it is from all the other translations. It uses such precise language and imagery and and the the language or the nomenclature is so uh, relatable to us. Like it's kind of like reading a great work of, you know, narrative or something today. How do we better kind of communicate in these relationships in a way that's like kind of authentic versus just transactional in these kind of mentoring relationships. Sure. Well, Eugene with him, what he did was he spent 50 years listening to people. He he's a man of words. He's a, he's an author. He's a poet. He's, he's an artist. He's a pastor. Mm-hmm. And um, to to be a pastor, he spent his whole career listening to people, and he'd go meet with people, and he'd tell them, you know, he'd talk to them about the scriptures, and he just would see that it would go right over them. <laughs> and he realized, oh, these people don't know the scriptures, and and I'd give them a scripture, a passage out of King James, and they'd go, what? And so he said, you know, he he taught Greek and Hebrew in seminaries before he was a pastor. So he would come to the next meeting and he would say, okay, Psalm 3. Remember Psalm 3 that we were just talking about last time we were together? I've translated it for you, and now you can take this home and pray this. So Eugene translated the Bible out of his years of pastoral ministry, listening to his people talk. So he he translated it in the American vernacular in a way that people who are stay-at-home moms or school teachers or bus drivers would understand the gospel, hear it in their own language. So that's a bit about Eugene. Language in general is attentiveness. That as we're sitting, the conversation I have with a 65-year-old at lunch is completely different than the conversation I have with an 18-year-old at lunch. Mm-hmm. because I'm a student of language and I played sports. And so I can sit down with the 18 year old high school baller and talk that language with him. And, and 
if I were to show up at that lunch and only be able to speak to him in the way that I was speaking to the 65-year-old church mother, we're going to miss each other. And so the, the, the miracle of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is being poured out, is that Parthians and Medes and Scythians and Greeks and all kinds of people from all different nations heard the gospel in their own language. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to tell the gospel, we're going to have to be language acquisition specialists. We're going to have to learn how to speak to different people in different ways and tell the same story uniquely. So um, be, bottom line is be a student. Know who you're sitting with. Every conversation is supposed to be tailor-made. And uh, I just think if you learn to think on your feet in front of people, and learn to listen really well, you'll be able to communicate the gospel beautifully. So one thing that I feel like I run into a lot, just kind of living in cultures other than the one I came from that are not not so predominantly Christian, is how do you, how, what's your approach to kind of talking about Christianity and the gospel and, and you know, Jesus um, to people that are, I don't know, I guess you would call them non-believers or just like kind of believing because that's kind of how they were raised, but they don't really do a whole lot for that. Um, I feel like a lot of people my age are in this boat. um, And, you know, they're like, I don't want to be super Christian or anything. That kind of language kind of comes up a lot in my world. Um, What do you, what do you, how do you communicate these, you know, the book of wisdom of all time, like the Bible and the story of Jesus and the gospel to you know, this kind of person? Well, first of all, we're all human and we all have the same general ache for wholeness. We have the deep desire for friendship. We, if you were to cut all of us open and see what we bleed, we all bleed the same desire for uh, knowing and for Mm -hmm. being known and for the, the, the basic needs being met. And does anyone know I exist on this planet? And does anyone care? Does anyone know my name? And so, first of all, we just got to level the playing field and say that we're all, you know, pretty well aching for the same thing. Yeah for communion, if I could just use that word as, a, as the, the banner, the umbrella. We're aching for communion with God in creation, with people to be known. Uh, so, but, but to your question of how do you speak the language of the people, you have to listen first. You cannot speak before listening. Mm-hmm. Humans, humans, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Humans are responding creatures. And God said, let there be light. And then Adam and Eve rise up into that dialogue, but it's always as responders. We listen first. God speaks first. So we, we, we listen. When you moved to Thailand, you listened. You didn't go there just talking stream of consciousness as if you were the one in in charge of Thailand. You went there carrying a message, carrying a burden that all would know Jesus. But you you started with your ear first. 
Right. Uh, so when when you go into different cultures, you go even in the same country, you can you can go to the south side of Chicago or you can go to rural New Mexico, and it's a completely different language in the same country. You're listening though to pay attention. What are their what are their aches? What are they telling me about what they're lacking? And then you then you go, you know, hey, I, I've got a story to tell you. Uh, the kingdom of God is like dot dot dot. You know, Matthew and Matthew thirteen, Jesus tells seven stories in one chapter. He he preaches seven little sermons. He says the kingdom of God is like, and he uses seven different examples. He's a storyteller. He's he's throwing down parables alongside people, and then and then one last little note here. Paul in at the Areopagus, I believe it's Acts seventeen. He'd come into town. And he, he saw this statue, and on the statue it says, to an unknown God. And then they brought Paul into the Areopagus, this great place of intellectual rigor and great conversation. And Paul stands up and he says, uh, men of dot, dot, dot. And he says, I was here yesterday and I saw that you, get, you know, erected this statue to the, to the unknown God. He said, let me tell you who he is. And he starts talking about Jesus. And so he listened first. He paid attention to their desires, to their aches, to their longings, to their appetites. Then he stepped in with, okay, I see those appetites. Let me tell you how they will be satisfied. And so a lot of listening, a lot of humility, a lot of artfulness, a lot of paying attention. I love it. Yeah, and I know you got to get going to your funeral, um, so I'll just ask you maybe one one more question about just about purpose. The podcast is called People of Purpose, and I'm really curious um, what you interpret purpose to be, and if you have determined you know some sort of statement for you, if, or if you see it as an ever evolving thing. Um, sure. Yeah, I think individual purpose. You know, there's the there's the collective Christian purpose. You know. Uh, uh, pray, seek God's face. That's the general stuff that all of us as Christians need to be uh, seeking. But I, I think what we're talking about is sort of individual making. And I think you have to be a student of how God made you. And you have to have other people. This is not a, an individualistic project. So I, I am, I'm 37 years old, and I am a sort of quilt that has been patched together of people's impact on my life, of people's spiritual heritage that they've invested in my life. And Oral Roberts and Pete Gregg and Eugene Peterson and uh, Billy Joe Darty and Linda Turner and my grandma and grandpa and my my parents and and you look up and you go I am the sum total of lots of people's investment in me. Yeah. And so if that's true. I need other people to help name what they see in me. And this is what parents do when when we're at our best. I have three little kids, 13, 10, and 8, and, and I'm spending my life right now doing my best to name. So we gave them names at birth, but here's what I see. Here are the giftings. Here's what oozes out of you. Here's how God made you. Here are unique giftings that you have that not everyone else has. And so 
you have to have other people helping name what they see in you. You can take it with a grain of salt, but but collect collect the wisdom and the the voice of the saints around you. And then you got to ask yourself like what do I do in the morning? I just fall out of bed doing this better than other people. There are things that you do Tanner, you you got up this morning and at your very worst you do it exponentially better than I could ever do it. Like with with sleep in your eye, you're just do you're crushing it with with these things. There's certain things that I get out of bed in the morning doing. It's just natural. I, it, it's it's a part of my nature. I was made. This comes out of me. It's a yeah. grace. It's a gifting. It's an anointing. It's whatever you want to call it. There's all kinds of Christian vernacular to speak of this. But there's a sort of making that we all have that mm-hmm. you have to pay attention to. I would be a miserable CPA. I would be a miserable... Um, uh, engineer. I would be a miserable... I'm just not made that way. I could go to right. school and grind and do my very best to try to force my way into... But it would be jamming a square peg into a round hole and it would be painful. So what are the things that you love? Here are some of the questions that I'm asking. What are the things that you love? What are you interested in? What have you... What environment did you grow up in uh, that is unique to your making that other people, I'm a pastor's kid by heart, uh, by, by history. I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I fell in love with it. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I just, it's not the family business, but it's just a part of my making. And so you've got to just pay attention to who you are and what you love and the environment in which you were raised and have lots of people speaking to you, telling you what they see in you and then practice your craft. You got to be an expert. You got to be great. You got to be disciplined. You got to throw your life into the work. And when those things come together, that's a pretty beautiful and convincing life right there. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your story today. I'm excited for, for an 87-year-old version of Daniel Grothy. That's someone that needs to be reached out to. Come on, baby. Thank you, Tanner. It's been such a joy to be with you. All of you folks, people of Purpose listeners, you're a blessing. Go in God's grace and peace. Appreciate it. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately 
and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and right your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 